Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Jesse Warren. I look cut, dude. I look cut, shredded, peeled, diced. Any way you can prep a carrot, it's my body. I'm Julianne as fuck today, okay? That and more, but first, folks, pitch us your stories. Have you had an experience that was especially emotional for you? Maybe you were really nervous to tell someone something, or you were pursuing a plan that seemed a little unreasonable. Maybe you tried doing something for the first time and it blew you away. Maybe there was an accident, an emergency you didn't see coming. Maybe you did something that you would have never thought you would do before. Maybe some wild surprise showed up in your life one day. Or maybe you did something you're not proud of. Maybe you escaped some disaster in the nick of time. We know that when you're in the very beginning stages of brainstorming on a story, it can seem daunting. You know, you don't know exactly where to start. But if you go to the page on the Risk website at risk-show.com slash submissions, everything you need to know is right there. There's a link to our video tutorials over on our storytelling resources page. But the bottom line is this. If you can summarize what you think will probably happen in the beginning, middle, and end of the story in just a paragraph, and send that to pitches at risk-show.com and let us know what city you're in. We'll help you from there. We help people workshop stories. And if you know someone who you think would be a perfect fit for the show, you can tell that person to just email me directly at kevin at risk-show.com and I'll let them know what to do from there. In the 13 years of doing this show, one question has never stopped coming our way. Are you still taking pitches? <laughs> the answer is every single day. Please, pitch us. <laughs> Go to the submissions page at riskdeshow.com slash submissions. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Now here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Grover Washington Jr. behind me now. We are calling this week's episode Face It. I'll tell you, I'm so excited because on this episode, I wanted to get these out there as soon as we could. A couple, well, three stories from our recent shows that we did out in Seattle and Portland. It was just so exciting and wonderful and fun and beautiful to be traveling with the show again. Oh my gosh, the audiences in Seattle and Portland were just so enthusiastic and so sweet. The storytellers were amazing, as you're going to hear on this episode. And there's many more stories from those two shows that we'll be sharing very soon as well. Now, on July 30th, we are in Detroit. We are back at the Magic Bag. And then on July 31st, we are back in Chicago, back at Lincoln Hall. So, folks... If you live in Detroit, or if you live in Chicago, or if you live anywhere near either of those two cities, pitch us your stories. You might be in one of those two shows. Again, that's July 30th for Detroit, July 31st for Chicago. Pitch us. And if you want to go to those shows, just go to risk-show.com slash tour. That's where our live show information always exists. Let's get to the stories now. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Gretchen Dalma, an amazing story that she shared at the Risk Live show in Seattle just a couple weeks back. But before that, Jesse Warren. Also, same show, that Seattle show. You can find Jesse at Jesse Warren Bruh on Instagram and on Twitter. And here he is now, Jesse Warren, with a story we call jacked out so in the ninth grade I was the Pacific Northwest regional Yu-Gi-Oh card playing champion yeah yeah I was the champ. I was, uh, I was the loser. It was literally the least cool thing you could do if you don't know Yu-Gi-Oh cards. It's this like, trading card game that was literally the least cool thing you could do. I remember being in high school 
and marching band kids would be like, loser, loser. I was ashamed. I was ashamed of what I did. Uh, I desperately wanted to reinvent myself, but I didn't know how. And one day I'm on YouTube, I'm scrolling through videos, and I happen upon a video titled, Ziz the Legacy. And it's uh, a guy staring at the camera, presumably Ziz, and he's shirtless, shredded, perfect body. Oh, dude, you're like, yeah. This guy knows. Yeah, wait for it, man. He's so, so jacked, perfect body, pristine, right? And I'm like, okay, press play, he's talking to the camera. You mad, mate? You mad? He's an Australian guy. You mad, I'm fucking shredded, cunt. Like, did this guy just call me a cunt? <laughs> Later on, I, I do learn that in Australia, calling somebody a cunt is like in America, calling somebody a cunt, but they just like don't care over there for some reason. <laughs> Whatever, I guess they don't care. You mad, I'm shredded, cunt. I'm a sick cunt, mate, a sick cunt. I'm like, stop saying that word. Oh my God, I'm a sick cunt, mate. But I used to be a sad cunt, just like you. And then it cuts to a picture of him when he was like a sad cunt, I guess. I... It's him as a competitive World of Warcraft player. So we're both like dorks, right? And he's also scrawny. And at the time, uh, when I was 14, I was same height I am today, but I was 111 pounds. So if you have trouble picturing that, uh, 115 pounds is the weight of the average female Korean pop star. So at the time, I literally weighed the exact same amount as a tiny dancing Asian lady on her birthday if her friends gave her too many balloons. So I was like a fat skeleton, just picture that. So I was watching this video, and immediately I feel this like immense kinship to this man. I was like, this is my ticket, right? He was the same thing that I was, and now he is unrecognizable. He reinvented himself. I was like, I will do this. I will become a bodybuilder. I will do whatever this man says. And he says, go to the supplement store, mate. Take any powder you can get your hands on. And next day, okay, I go to GNC. And I walk in. Dude working there is very buff, obviously. He's shaking a shaker bottle, obviously. And inside the shaker bottle, it was just water. <laughs> I was like, does this guy not know that the H is already like mixed with the O? I was scared. I was like, if I get jacked, am I going to forget science? price I was willing to pay. I don't care. And he walks up to me and he says, do you want to get jacked? I was like, whoa, dude, your chest acne is bleeding. Gross, gross. Very disgusting, right? Uh, but I did want to get jacked. I did. So I told him I want to get jacked. And he says, well, to get jacked, you got to take jacked. He hands me a supplement called jacked. Except the letter... E was replaced by the number three. Like it was like a strong password, right? <laughs> like it was the password of like a buff guy who got locked out of his account, but like didn't know any more words. And I buy it, I ingest it into my body, and I go to the gym for the first time in my life. I'm under the bench press, I'm waiting for it to kick in. And Jacked, if you don't know, it's a pre-workout supplement. And it consists of caffeine, which I was 14 at the time, never had caffeine before in my life. Nitrous oxide, which is for blood flow to stimulate the muscles, also used to treat erectile dysfunction. And the main ingredient in it was something called 1,3-dimethylamine. 
one comma three dimethylamine. It had a fucking comma in the name as if to say like, whoa, like pause. Are you like sure you want to do this, dude? This is, <laughs> this is wild. And 1,3-dimethylamine was a new compound. Up until that point, it was used exclusively overseas as a party drug at raves as a substitute for molly and ecstasy. And I was 14 at the time, I'm 30 now, and I've since, I've taken a bunch of molly, I've taken good molly, I've taken bad molly, I've taken molly that was just meth, and whatever, who hasn't? And to this day, to this day, none of it can hold a candle to the high I felt taking Jack that day. It was surreal. So I'm on the bench press, and uh, it's starting to kick in. High as a kite, I'm rolling my brains out. I got this bar in my hands, and all I want to do is give it a scalp massage and make it friendship bracelets. I have, I have an emotional connection to this bar. My dick, rock hard. Oh my God, rock hard. Emotional connection, physical connection to this apparatus. I found my soulmate. I decided this is what I'm going to do every day for the rest of my life, dude. I'm euphoric. And I start delving deeper into the subculture of teen bodybuilding in the early 2000s. I buy a bunch of breast milk off the dark web, human milk. Somebody told me it would get me jacked. Somebody told me it would get me jacked. Uh, it did not. Uh, I got salmonella twice. I did. Uh, I, would, I would jerk off masturbate until right before I was about to come, hold it in, hold it, and then go lift. Channel that power, right? I would channel it. I would drive hours each week uh, to procure rare milk, illegal milk. Raw cow's milk, illegal in most states, but I had a plug, I had a milk guy an hour north up in Arlington. <laughs> and I'd go visit him each week, and I'd do all this stuff, and I was working out, and it was working, I was getting jacked. I was making friends, I got a girlfriend, I got a job as the shirtless Abercrombie guy. Mostly a fluke, honestly though, this was like during the height of their racism, and I think they just wanted to be able to point to me and be like, look, we're only half racist, right? That's not like a huge deal. I was feeling good. And I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to enter into a bodybuilding competition. And I entered into this competition, doubled down on my training, doubled down on my dieting. And I'm watching the news one day. A woman on the news starts talking. Popular pre-workout supplement, Jacked 3D. I'm like, that's not how you say it, but whatever, that's fine. <laughs> Popular pre-workout supplement, Jacked 3D, has been banned by the FDA following 86 accounts of hospitalizations and at least five deaths due to heart attack, liver failure, and kidney failure. I'm like, holy fuck, right? I'm, I'm, mid, I'm about to ingest Jack, mid-scoop, I'm mid-dry scoop. I'm like, God, what the fuck? Storm over to the GNC. I'm like, I need to see the fucking manager right now. Manager comes out. I say, hey man, I've been taking Jack every day for years. It causes heart attacks. It is getting banned in the United States. Give me all of it. Give me all of it you have left. Hurry. I buy out the store. Crisis averted, thank God. I'm okay for now. Next week, I'm on the bodybuilding forums. I'm just perusing it. 
and looking for advice. But all I see are these threads titled RIP, RIP, rest in peace, rest in peace. My idol, Ziz, dies, 22 years old. They found his corpse in a sauna in an LA fitness in Thailand. Uh, yeah, he, he, his heart exploded. They, he found out they was doing uh, a cocaine free workout. Reckless behavior. Cocaine is obviously like a post-workout treat, right? It's not <laughs> something you would do before a workout. But I was emotional. I was like deeply heartbroken. I was on the verge of tears. I was like, don't cry. You're a sick cunt. You're a sick cunt, right? You're a sick, you're a sick cunt. Don't cry. I stay strong. I found a new god, a man by the name of Greg Plitt. He was a fitness model, and he also died. He got run over by a train. Filming for an energy drink commercial, he was trying to outrun it. Yeah, he didn't even come close. He wasn't faster than it. It wasn't even close. I was beside myself. I didn't know how to feel because I, like, I looked up to these people. But on the other hand, like, both of them had died like, very like, hilariously, like both very cartoonish, Wile E. Coyote-style deaths. There's a lot like, to reconcile for a young man, right? But I persisted. And next week, it's a bodybuilding competition. Okay, and I look, I look cut, dude. I look cut, shredded, peeled, diced. Any way you can prep a carrot, it's my body. <laughs> I'm Julianne as fuck today, okay? <laughs> and I'm backstage. I smell like tanning beds and olive oil. I walk onto stage, music's playing. Okay, what do I open with? I hit him with a front lat, okay? I open modestly, front lat. Okay, what do I do next? Side oblique. Obviously, right? Side oblique. What are they expecting next? Obviously what? Front double by, right? They're expecting a front double by. What do I give them? I don't give them that. Side chest. What? Audience goes crazy. Side chest? Never seen that before, dude. Audience goes crazy. They lose their mind. And I, I look good. I look good. I feel horrible. I've never felt worse. I was semi-conscious. I was like, you know, half-conscious stupor. I, I hadn't slept for days. My stimulant abuse was like spiraling. I hadn't eaten. I was dehydrated. But it would all be worth it when I won, right? I'll be worth it when I won. I did not win. It wasn't even close, actually. I, I made a huge mistake. I did not take steroids. <laughs> Biggest regret of my life. I was competing against these grown adults who were shooting needles in their assholes, and I was just like a teen on milk. <laughs> it didn't stand a chance. And I was uh, very sad about that. I felt very depressed. I, I sauntered off the stage. Yeah, I was depressed. I was hungry. Oh my God, I was, I was hungry. And I had this craving for raw milk. I hadn't had it for weeks because I was dieting. So I was like, okay, I'll go buy some raw milk. I drive out to Arlington, pick up five gallons of milk, hop in my car, start driving back home. Right before the, I get on the highway, I realize, well, I don't realize. I do the opposite of realize. I, I fall asleep. I fall asleep at the wheel. And I crash, I, cra I crash. I wake up, I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Am I okay? And I'm, I'm covered in milk. And I'm like, holy fuck, had I died, they literally would have found my body covered in milk. Or they found it a week later covered in yogurt. And I had this moment where I was like, I almost died an even more comical death than either of my idols. And ever since that, 
day, I've been much more discerning with who I choose to emulate. Thank you. You mad, mate. You mad. You mad I'm fucking shredded cunt. I'm a sick cunt, mate. A sick cunt. But I used to be a sad cunt just like you. If you want to get jacked, you got to take jacked. Give me all of it. Give me all of it you have left. Hurry. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance. There's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There are some things that I have known about myself for a very long time. I have a deep and abiding passion for chocolate. Dark, preferably. I'm afraid of heights. And I have never wanted to be a mother. Now this last thing is really hard to admit in the face of our very family-centric society, especially for a woman. I mean, motherhood has been one of the defining elements of femaleness. It has been, for like ever, (laughs) our major contribution to society. 
but not for me. And believe me, I have heard all of the pro-parenting arguments. People with children and people who want to have children say the stupidest things. <laughs> I don't want to have kids. Oh, you say that now, but you'll grow out of it. And I, I don't want to have kids. Well, you'll feel differently when you have your own. No, I don't want to have kids. What's the matter? Don't you like children? I don't want to have kids. Well, that's selfish. I don't want to have kids. What is wrong with you? And don't misunderstand me. It's not that I don't like children. I have spent many hours enjoying the company of my nieces and nephews, and I even like other people's children, especially when they're well-behaved and can carry on a coherent conversation. <laughs> but I have never been drawn to babysitting, and never been drawn to babies, for that matter. I don't have a biological clock, and that's been okay with me. Except when it came to my romantic relationships. Because like all of you, I've been raised in a society where the normal pattern of things was to be dating, and then engagement, and then marriage, and then ultimately starting a family. So in my 20s with the men I'm dating, I am harboring what I come to think of as my dirty little secret. And I am just praying that I will not have to one day tell someone that I really care about the truth. But then, the year I turn 30, I come out as a lesbian. And I think my problem is solved. I mean, this is the early 1980s, and nobody is encouraging, much less expecting, gay and lesbian couples to have kids. So I don't have to worry about my dirty little secret anymore, right? <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> Apparently, about this moment when I am stepping into my new identity, the entire lesbian community I am a part of is experiencing a baby boom. <laughs> lesbian couples everywhere are procuring sperm and procreating. <laughs> and now I'm in a position of hiding my dirty little secret from the women I am dating and just praying that the subject won't come up. But then, as the years go by and I keep this thing to myself, I start to think about who I really am. And when I turn 40, I do something really, really foolish. <laughs> I fall in love. Oh, my new girlfriend's name is Maria, and she is 10 years younger than me. And from the very beginning of our relationship, we are equal parts thrills and tumult. <laughs> we are each other's yin and yang. Now, I'm an actor who works at an art museum. I am expressive and outgoing and emotional. And Marie is a physical therapist. She owns a sailboat and goes golfing. She is athletic and scientific and very rational. But the electricity between us is oh, thrilling and inescapable and ultimately irresistible. And so we begin a dating relationship. And damn, if I don't decide to be brave. One night after dinner at our favorite Italian restaurant, uh, fortified by some really delicious pasta and a little red wine, I turn to her and I say, Marie, um, there's something you really need to know about me. I do not want to have children. The silence that follows seems interminable, and then 
She gets a twinkle in her eye, and she looks at me, and she says the magic words. Ah, that's not a deal breaker. Not a deal breaker. Oh, God. You know, the tiramisu we ate that night never tasted so delicious. (laughs) And so now we ease into what is a kind of relaxed and spontaneous coupledom. We um, sleep late on weekends. We go to every new restaurant that opens in the city, trying out all the food. And we take off on impromptu weekend trips to visit with friends who have a cabin on a lakeshore. And Marie teaches me, literally teaches me, the ropes of sailing. And I introduce her to the excitement of an opening night at the theater. And when she finally moves into my house, I am sure we are on the road to forever. But (laughs) things that you think are going to happen don't necessarily work out the way you had planned. It's a lovely sunny afternoon. We're on the boat. We're sailing across the lake. The breeze is blowing us silently along. The sun is sparkling on the water. And I'm in the back of the boat. I'm sort of getting lulled to sleep by the rocking of the waves when... Marie suddenly pipes up. Uh, Gretchen, there is something I really need to tell you. Okay. This doesn't sound good. Well, I've been thinking a lot about it, and I've decided that I really want to have a baby. Uh, What? Now I'm awake. Uh, Yeah, I want to have a baby. The flood of emotions that washes over me is so intense, I am stunned into silence, I, I don't know what to respond, and I can't even walk into the next room to gather my thoughts because we are on a boat in the middle of a lake, and she's chosen to tell me this now. We sail back to the dock in silence, and the ride home is equally quiet. And when we get home, I find out that there are two things that have spurred this change of heart. Now, the first is that we do know several lesbian couples who are starting families, so they seem to be really enjoying themselves. But the more important thing is that Marie has discovered she has an ovarian tumor. Now, she'd lost her first ovary as a teenager, so this is the only one she has left. And suddenly, she is overwhelmed with this desire to actually bear a baby. I vacillate back and forth between anger and frustration and betrayal and an attempt to understand, and we start to have these conversations. Well, they start out as quiet conversations, and they usually end up in kind of hissing matches where we're discussing things like finances, and um, what about the difference in our ages, and which one of us is actually going to be the primary caretaker, and, and you keep talking about this as this is your baby, so what, is, what does that mean for me? I mean, who am I in this equation? And And... And don't you know that a baby grows up? This is a lifelong commitment. It's not going to be a baby forever. But Marie is determined. (laughs) She's on this journey, and she wants me to come with her. And so one day she asks, will you come to a maybe baby class with me? (laughs) A a what? A maybe baby class. It's for lesbians who want to think about starting a family. Oh, God, I know this is a bad idea, but I go. Now, the class is held in our local elementary school in the evening. And as we step into the brightly lit classroom, we are surrounded by giddy lesbians who are ready to start their journey into parenthood. 
oh, they're talking about things like the relative merits of the turkey baster method and where can they find the best discount on a car seat? And uh, when is it too early to start signing up for that waiting list for nursery school? I am standing in a room awash with free-floating estrogen. And I know these are not my people. And they never will be. But Marie is doggedly determined. So she proceeds more or less without me. She finds a surgeon who is willing to remove the tumor and save the ovary if and only if the tumor isn't cancerous. Now, if it is, both the tumor and the ovary have to go. On the day of her surgery, Marie's mother and I sit in the hospital waiting room underneath those flickering fluorescent lights, drinking bad coffee and making conversation. I really like Marie's mom. I mean, she's warm and she's funny and she's always been so welcoming to me. When the surgeon emerges and says, benign, Marie's mother gives me a huge hug and we both burst into tears. Her mother, because she knows that her daughter is going to be okay. And me, because I know my relationship with Marie is about to be over. But not quite. Because of some post-surgical complications, Maria is sent home with an open abdominal incision. It has to be left open so that it can heal from the bottom up and its dressings have to be changed daily. Now, the insurance we have pays for a home health care nurse for a few days, but then it's up to me. Come on over here and take a look at this, the nurse says as she unbandages the incision. I look at this deep horizontal gash. It's red and raw and achingly vulnerable and I gasp and I have to hold back tears. Does it hurt? I say to Marie. She um, is lying pale-faced and nearly motionless on the bed that we no longer share. And she winces and she says, I'm fine. Just do it. So I do. I do what needs to be done. Under the nurse's watchful eye, I lay out clean field and sterile field for the supplies I will be using. Then I gently pack a wet gauze deep into the incision, followed by layers of dry gauze, followed by a bandage to cover the whole thing to keep it clean. Perfect, the nurse says, you're a natural. <laughs> which is a very ironic compliment, considering that I have been called uncaring and unkind and unnatural by the person whose incision I have just bandaged. And day by day, her incision heals. And day by day, I change the dressings. And as I'm doing it, I'm thinking to myself, what the hell are you doing? I am bandaging you and helping you heal. So you can leave me. And she does. And when she leaves, she leaves me with an open wound of the heart, which no bandages or gauze can heal, just time. And over time, I, I eventually step out of my anger and my grief and my deep sense of betrayal and back into the certainty that I have known, always known, and I still do, what is right for me. 
and that Marie, as much as I hate to admit it, probably knew what was right for her at the time. Ironically, after several rounds of very expensive failed IVF, Marie ends up childless, just like me. The other thing I am very certain about then and now is that the best parents are people who really, really want to be parents. And that those of us who don't, we aren't wrong or damaged or uncaring or unkind. We've just made a different choice. And choice, then, now, and always, is what ultimately counts. Thanks. My answer tends to leave them somewhat flat Unsubtle hints are met with awkwardness So I feel I am required to confess I don't want kids I just want pets I can't foresee that this will be One of my great regrets Your kids are fine Cause they're not mine To me a life lived without children sounds divine this is Risk. This is Thomas Benjamin Wild Esquire behind me now. And we just heard from Gretchen Dalma. That was recorded when Risk was in Seattle just a couple weeks ago. And before that, a little interstitial by our episode editor, Jeff Barr. Now, folks, our 600th episode is coming up. And we really want to hear your voices on it. We want to hear your audio testimonials where you say what risk means to you, how you discovered the show, who you've shared it with, maybe a story that really changed things for you. Just grab your phone you know, use the voice memos app on it or whatnot. And you can email those directly to Kevin at risk show.com. And you might be on that 600th episode. Now, originally we said the deadline was May 25th. Let's go ahead and extend it to May 27th, Friday, you know, end of day, Friday, just grab that phone, say some words about what risk means to you Email it to Kevin at risk-show.com and hopefully we can get you on that 600th episode. Another way you can support us is over at patreon.com slash risk. That is where we have so much bonus content for you. And if you want to make a one-time donation, that's at paypal.me slash risk show. 
Now, our final story on this week's episode is such a treat. It was so beautifully shared. You know, all three of the storytellers on today's episode had not done a ton of storytelling quite like this before. So it's really a testament to the coaching that we do behind the scenes here. And yet again, why I'm always telling people to pitch us their stories, even if they're a little nervous about it. And so here, without further ado, is Kristen Williams, who shared this when Risk was in Portland, Oregon, a few weeks ago. Here she is now, Kristen Williams, with a story we call The Swimmer. I fold my arms across my shoulders and step off of the 10-foot ledge. After plunging deep into the water, I fight my way back to the top and flip over on my back. And then I start to kick my feet and use my arms to maneuver the pool. It's my last chance to pass my swim test if I want to graduate Navy basic training on time. Failing would mean I get a few more chances to try, and eventually they would kick me out and send me back to the tired town where I grew up. I don't know how far I've swam, but I know I'm nowhere near the end of this pool, and I am tired. I am trying to keep my head above water. I am fighting, but I'm sinking. Now there are six of us standing outside of the pool building, in formation, smartly aligned in two rows of three. All six of us are women, all six of us are black, and all six of us just failed our swim test. We have our swim rolls wrapped up in a wet towel, clutched under our left arm, soaking our stungarees, and I just wish that the excess water would melt away all the stamps on my qualification card that say, swim test, fail. I don't even notice my chief walk up, but he approached us in his crisp khaki uniform and his hat with the anchor. Where I'm from, I'm not used to seeing black people in positions of authority like chief, and I'm proud to be in his class, and I want to be like him when I grow up, but I gotta make it out of basic training first, and it's not looking good. Chief looks at us, and he says, recruits, did any of you pass? No, Chief, we didn't. He looks into our tear-filled eyes, and then he tells us to hand him our qualification cards and go back and tell everybody we passed. We've been taught to obey orders, lawful orders. This is not a lawful order. But Chief wouldn't lead us astray, right? I remember week two when it was swim day and Chief was explaining to us how all of this would work. He said, you're gonna get to the pool and then the instructors are gonna demonstrate the swim test. And then they're gonna say, if anyone is not confident that they can execute this swim test without further instruction, then they need to stand up. 
and then all the black people are going to stand up. And we all laughed, and I laughed until it happened. And I found myself standing there in my black Navy-issued one-piece, looking to my left and looking to my right, and there was nothing but other black people standing with me. There were about 15 of us in my class who needed the further instruction, so we went back to the pool a few times a week for the next four weeks, and people slowly started to pass. All but us, the final six. When we got back to our class, it's like a big space with 88 bunks and 88 women scattered about. We just kind of creeped in quietly, didn't say anything to anyone until there was an announcement made and someone's like, hey, I don't know why they didn't say anything, but our final six swimmers passed the day. And their room erupts with laughter and cheer and happiness and everyone's hugging us and telling us how proud they are of us. Our class gets to graduate together, all of us. The energy is high, but I feel weird and guilty. It's like a huge burden has been lifted off my shoulders, but has it? It's kind of been replaced with a different burden. Don't get me wrong, I'm happy that I don't have to worry about my swim qualification, but I would have rather had earned it. But then on the other hand, I didn't want to have to call my mama and tell her that I failed my swim test, so I'm not going to be able to make it into the Navy. And really, when I think about it, I have not said the words, I passed my swim test, to anyone. So I have nothing to feel guilty about. The next day, we're in battle dress, getting ready for battle stations. And battle stations is an overnight exercise that's designed to test everything we've learned over the past six weeks. Once we complete battle stations, we're no longer recruits. We're sailors in the U.S. Navy. My class is in the galley eating chow when someone taps me on my shoulder and tells me to report back to our living quarters. So I scarf down my spaghetti and corn and head down the cold, sterile hallway. And when I get back to our room, there are six of us in there. The same six who passed our swim test the day before. This is not a coincidence, obviously. So we do like a quick huddle, like, hey, we're in too deep, all right? So if anybody asks, we passed. Got it? Got it. So these people come in that we've never seen, and they march us out to a van and drive us to a building we've never been to and sit us in this comfortable waiting area. And before I know it, it is filled with officers screaming at us, interrogating us. Did you pass your swim test? Yeah. When? Yesterday? Who signed your qualification card? Silence. So they try another approach. They break us up, and now I'm in this tiny room with one officer, and she looks at me and she says, did you really pass? Yeah, I did. Your career is on the line. You don't want a dishonorable discharge, do you? In my mind, this is the good cop version of the interrogation, so I stand my ground. Yes, I passed my test. And in my mind, I'm like, 
Shouldn't I get legal representation for this? But I'm not crazy enough to ask for it. Now they shuffle us back into the big space together, and it's just us sitting there staring at each other, wondering if everyone stood our ground and if anyone snitched. Nobody said anything because, I mean, what if the room is bugged? Finally, after what feels like endless silence, I'm like, I just need to step away. I need to think. I need to pray. So I asked to go to the restroom and I get in the stall and I bow my head and I close my eyes and I'm like, wait, girl, are you really about to pray? And ask God what if you should keep lying? <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I, I know what I have to do. I have to tell the truth. But then I think about Chief and how he really just wanted to help us. And he knew how it felt to be poor and black and lack resources and do something crazy to change your life, like join the Navy. And he knows that the recruiters tell us, yeah, they'll teach you how to swim in basic training. They have great instructors. But they don't tell us how hard it is. They don't tell us how demoralizing it is to be one of a small minority who doesn't have a basic life skill. And they don't tell you that when they're teaching you how to swim and you struggle, the mean ass instructors scream at you, female, out of the water. And then you obviously are still struggling. And then they stick a long pole in the water and jab you. And then you latch onto the pole and they snatch it back at full strength and you slam up against the sides of the pool. Then you climb your way out, walk back to the end of the line and try again. Chief didn't want us to keep going through that, and he put his career on the line so we wouldn't have to. And here I am about to tell on him. And that's how I pay him back, I guess. I get back into the room and I look at the first officer and I'm like, hey, I didn't pass my swim test. And I see the other girls look so relieved and they're like, me either, I didn't pass mine either. And then they line us up and march us into this office where a man sits behind a big wooden desk. And I see the eagle insignia on his collar. I read his name tag. It's Captain Moran, the base commander. We're in big trouble, big, big trouble. I stand at attention, thousand yard stare, stomach in knots. And he says, seaman recruit Williams. Did you pass your swim test? No, sir, I did not. And he goes down the row asking each one of us and each girl confesses. And he tells us he already knew. He had plenty of evidence. He had forged signatures on our qualification cards, witness statements from other people at the pool who didn't notice six black girls passing yesterday. And he really just needed to know if we were victims or if we were collaborators in this. Captain Moran was firm, but he was much kinder than he had to be. He didn't kick us out, but he made us start basic training over from week one. So week six at that point was officially week one again. But the silver lining is, I have five more weeks to learn how to swim. <laughs> And four weeks later, I did just that. I passed my swim test the right way. (laughs) 
I graduate basic training and I'm walking on base one day and I see a familiar face walking out of the building that I'm about to walk in. It's Chief. And my stomach turns and I just want to turn around and run the other way because we're from the world of snitches get stitches. And I kind of had no choice but to snitch on him when I came clean. Surprisingly, Chief isn't mad at all. And he tells me that he was devastated when he found out that we were punished for his poor decision. And he was proud of me for being the one to step up and tell the truth and encourage the other girls to tell the truth. And he told me that leadership isn't, you know, a rank, a title, or a fancy uniform. It's knowing when to stand up and do the right thing. I needed to hear those words, and I needed to hear them from Chief. Thank you. is all for this week's episode folks this is frank ocean behind me now and you just heard from Kristen williams who you can find on instagram and twitter at everyday speaker and folks don't forget there's only a little time left to get us those voice memos telling us what risk means to you because it's our 600th episode next week and you know we have lived through very 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 precarious times as far as the continued existence of the show goes but frankly we're still in it <laughs> we're still in a just going day by day of how do we keep this show running however we are so 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 proud of how awesome the episodes have been for the past few years while we've been in such tumult and here we are we're reaching the 600th one so we would love to hear from you how the show 
impacts your life. And all you have to do is make a little voice memo and send it to Kevin at risk-show.com by Friday, May 27th, end of day. Folks, don't forget that we teach storytelling at our school at thestorystudio.org. We have been on a roll lately with our corporate workshops, with our workshops for staffs of businesses or organizations or even creative teams or sometimes even families. We've helped families with, you know, sharing stories with one another for documentaries or family memoir. We've helped doctors and lawyers and preachers and tour guides and solo show artists. We've helped so many people work on their narratives and their communication skills over at thestorystudio.org. And everything else you want to learn about us is at risk-show.com. You can find our socials on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Risk Show. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Kevin Allison. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. In the 13 years of doing this show, one question has never stopped coming our way. Are you still taking pitches?
The answer is every single day. Please, pitch us. 